Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table? Today is the first of our Zine Month special episodes featuring two designers who are putting out some very interesting Mothership Supplement zines. They are Roderick Maxino with Archiver and Jordan Boschman with the Stone Flesh Gift. Today, we're sitting down with Roderick Maxino to talk about Archiver, his new project for Zine Month. Roderick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. I'm really excited to talk about this game. I've just been looking through it and it looks awesome. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, you've got two people with a production background, Brian more so than me, but that was my former career as well. So we're very, very excited about this. It sounds like I'm in good company. (laughs) When I saw the producer's bonus was 10-1, I was like, I'm in. (laughs) I'm absolutely in. Yeah, yeah, very good. So I guess to start, could you just give us the elevator pitch for this project? Yes. So Archiver is a film documentarian toolkit for Mothership 1E, where players will try to make a movie in an alien-infested kill zone. So basically, you're equipped with only your camera gear, and you're going to attempt to document life in space and expose corporate atrocities while surviving the void's unspeakable horrors. And as a toolkit, you can easily hack this setting into existing Mothership modules, or you can use its own uh, Archiver's scenario generator to launch brand new campaigns. So it's really flexible in how you want to use it. Love it. So with these conversations, we obviously want to talk a lot about the project that you're doing, but we also want to kind of highlight this class of zine month designers like who's making these zines who are they what are they like what are they interested in so we have a few kind of questions that more focus on you and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the game if that sounds cool sure sure so i'm curious if you could define for us what would you say is your design ethos as a game designer anytime i approach a game the most important thing to me is mood and emotion because I go, I come into game design from a filmmaker background, and the whole idea is everything that you choose in your medium is intentional, right? And it's intentional to create that that feeling, that mood, that suspension of disbelief. So when I'm creating a game, every mechanic I cho- I'm designing, I first come up with what kind of story and mood do I want, and then everything I do is towards that goal. Every mechanic, every color choice, everything to just like kind of like put someone into an idea that I have. I will say, just looking over the the crowdfunder page for this game, you really get a sense of that. Like everything, I look at you know one image, and I'm like, okay, I got, I get the idea of the game, I get the vibe you're going for, and then I scroll down, and I keep looking at more and more images and and text and your awesome campaign video. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I know exactly what this game is going to be like. Backing this game, I'm like, great, I know exactly what I'm getting, and I'm excited <laughs> to get it, especially me as a, a production guy. That's awesome. I'm glad that it came across, because I know when I was putting this game together, uh, especially with some of my other friends who are also in film, we're, we're coming in, like, trying to create a game about corporate documentary filmmaking. It's so specific, but we still wanted to, like, somehow get that a dystopian version of that across even to non-filmmakers. What is nice about everything I've seen here is that it, for me, someone who works in product, who works in production and specifically like reality TV stuff, it strikes really true, but also it feels like an easy, it feels very easy for someone who doesn't know this stuff to like get into it. Like it seems like a very easy on-ramp to this world, which is a very specific world. 
yeah. in a way I really like. One of the biggest goals of writing this was to, I wanted it to be a functional game, but I also wanted to teach non-filmmakers how to make movies, to like with actual protocols. So a lot of things in the game actually reflect exactly what it's really like to make a movie. There's pre-production, production, post-production. There's different phases and how you do the production and... There's also like the way you interact with clients and the way you have these moral dilemmas while on shoots, these different choices you have to make is all reflective based on my and several other people's um, experiences working in film. Just seeing some like, yeah, capturing the horror, then log it on a shot list. I was like, oh, a shot list as like a <laughs> campaign tracker is so fucking good. Yeah, really great. Just a thing for me. I have not played or read Mothership. It's not something that is immediately been exciting to me reading this i'm like i gotta read mothership so i can better understand this (laughs) props to you thanks i'm curious sort of beyond your like personal experience and like work as a filmmaker are there any other sort of touchstones or inspirations that you would highlight for this game or for this supplement yeah i mean outside from my own experiences the main inspirations for archiver the way i was pitching it to people when i was first conceiving the idea was imagine if you watched a movie where Aliens and Great Gardens was one movie. You ever watched the documentary Great Gardens? Mm-mm. Uh, it's this really good doc from the 70s that really puts into question at what point is a documentary exploitation. Oh, And a, mm. a lot of people study that in terms of like, hey, it's a really good doc, but also are they exploiting these people? And the subjects are like really interesting and they're kind of funny at first, but they're also tragic and... It's just a really interesting documentary to watch as a meta, right? You're watching it like as like it as a documentary, not just the doc like the subject matter. I wanted to create that experience for the player as well. And to make it more interesting, I was putting the Grey Gardens into an alien setting. So it's like here's here's you you're you're faced with all these kind of like moral choices as a filmmaker, uh, but also there are aliens trying to kill you. And so there's like Multiple layers for anyone who would, for, for any kind of gamer, you know what I mean? Right. Because I think I, I came up with this concept of making a filmmaker RPG a couple of years ago, but it was really straightforward. It was in a fantasy, like sci-fi fantasy setting, but my friends were saying like, yeah, I mean, the mechanics make sense, but at what point am I going to be engaged in it in a fantastical sense? Like, it just sounds like work. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I need to find like, it was a matter, and then it took me a while to figure out the right system either create a new system which wasn't working or find the right system that this would sit really well in and mothership worked really well because of one how easy it is to just jump in but two it's it's naturally a survival horror setting and having a documentary shoot in a survival horror setting sounds perfect because a lot of docs feel like a horror survival setting (laughs) yeah (laughs) that is incredibly true it's a great lead-in because i want to dig in on that a little bit more about why the mechanics and mothership as a system sort of are helping you inform the themes here. Like, why why was that the right choice? Could you say more about that? Sure. One thing is they use a percentage die rolling uh, equal to or under. And so that gives me a lot of flexibility in terms of how difficult something can be without it feeling too mechanical or objective. The other thing that really drew me to Mothership was their character skill tree. So essentially, you pick a class, and then everyone has the same skill tree, except when you pick a class, you you start the game with specific skills already at hand, 
right? But you have the same skill tree. So you can kind of cross your skills to other things as you see fit as you go along. And that is so much like filmmaking, right? Especially run and gun guerrilla filmmaking where, yeah, I'm the camera operator, but I also got to run sound sometimes, but I also got to do this. You're just not as good at it. And so to have a system like Mothership that's already built in where like, yeah, you pick a class, you can already do these things, but you can kind of spread yourself really thin and do a little bit of everything, or you can really focus on a couple things, just like a film crew. That's so true. Oh, and uh, one more thing is in Mothership, what I really enjoy, there's a lot of games where the game system is basically like a puzzle that you're trying to strategize and survive in, right? So there's all these things you can do with your character to prevent something bad from happening if you're trying to strategize and plan correctly. In Mothership, because it's a horror setting, they don't have anything like perception or something where you can kind of plan ahead. You just have to deal with what comes at you. Whenever uh, a GM describes something, that's it, right? Like that's you can ask questions, but you can't really prep yourself mechanically for something that's ahead. You just kind of have to like open the door if you want to try it, right? And I feel that is also very, very true to what it's like on on set because you have to be really adaptable and it's all very reactive. Like you have a goal, but then things are coming in left and right that you have to deal with. Yeah, that's extremely production. (laughs) Just problem after problem. You're like, well, we got to get to the end of it. We'll figure Mm -hmm, it out somehow. mm It does really track really well to a TTRPG and like an, an active and good campaign of something is just like problem, problem, problem. We got to figure it out. We got to figure it. it doesn't matter how. We just got to figure it out. <laughs> Man, for years uh, working in production, like I remember just every time I would go on set, it feeling like uh, like an adventure crew. Right. Like you go, everyone has their basically the class, right, that you, you're good at. You do this thing, you do this one thing, but you're all needed to get your objective done. And you're solving problems together. And that when I first started, I was making film before I started really even playing D&D. So when I started playing role playing games, I'm like, oh, my God, this is great because I already understood the dynamic. And it's it's interesting because when like with Mothership, obviously there's a lot of touchstones for Mothership, but one of them is like Alien, and you said like you referenced Aliens, and the characters in Alien are like, you know, the working class folks that are like facing corporate horror or corporate exploitation on a ship, and like film sets, you know, people who might not know film production super well, like it's not. It's not the most glamorous process in the world. It is a lot of like working class people who have locked into a trade and are and are like unfortunately oftentimes exploited. So there's like a really strong parallel between that kind of sci-fi horror of alien and um and film crews. And not that film crews are in as much danger, I want to be clear, but um yeah. It depends, like that depends on the crew. <laughs> depends on the crew. Yeah, and it fit well with our specific niche, which was corporate documentary. Because when you're trying to like, it's that constant struggle of being an artist, but also satisfying like client demands. And there's always that push and pull and having that kind of corporate dystopian setting built into the system is really nice. There is something that is really like puts a new spin on the term of like, get the shot. Like you got to get the shot at any cost. And (laughs) it's way more exciting to do that when there's a giant monster that is the thing you're trying to get the shot of or, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shoot footage, not guns, I think is one of my favorite lines on your page. (laughs) Thanks. Really good. So I'm curious, Roderick, why Zine Month and and sort of where are you funding and and why are you funding there? Uh, So I'm funding on Crowdfunder. And I know a lot of people this year are doing Kickstarter. 
And I think a lot of the people who are going to do who are doing Zine Month outside of Kickstarter might probably take uh, a bigger financial hit. But I'm all for supporting um, the smaller businesses. So Crowdfunder has been a really good company. Uh, I, I funded with them last year when more people were democratizing their crowdfunding. And uh, they were super supportive to everyone who was part of it. They were really attentive to everyone. They were even to the point on the, on the Discord, on, on the Zemont Discord, people would post like, hey, it'd be really nice to have this thing on the page because blah, blah, blah. And then someone from Crowdfunder would be on there. It's like, all right, we updated it. You can do it now. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's never happened before. Like, that's that's awesome. So I wanted to support them because... Uh, they seem super dedicated to the people who are uh, funding, and I, I really appreciate that. And I'm choosing Zine Month because while I've been publishing tabletop games since 2018, but those were like board games, right? My, my first introduction to like making games. And I didn't start making RPGs until really just a couple, like a couple years ago. And so I'm, it's a, it's a whole, it's entirely new scene, right? from board games, especially like OSRs and, and indie RPGs. It's a completely different scene. So I don't really have anyone who knows me, right? I'm pretty much unknown. It's a whole new span of people that I'm reaching out to. And so Zine Month is nice because it helps me get a leg up in reaching more people with my ideas, you know, where I'm kind of otherwise just out in the middle of the ocean, you know what I mean? So it's really nice to have that community support. It is a great time to kind of have that buffet of games that comes out where it's like, it's the time of year where everyone's down to experiment a little more. They're like, oh, yeah. there's a bunch of cool new stuff. Let's let's taste test a bunch of new things. And it's cool to see between Zine Month and some of the indie distributors like Exalted Funeral and Knave of Cups and things like that, since they're getting more wider appeal, I feel more and more people are beginning to look at games as art. yeah. And so, yeah, like you said, uh, people are becoming more experimental. And with, with Zine Month, it's like, hey, why not? It's a zine. It's 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Let's try it. And then it's just allowing people to to try these new new ways of having an experience, which I think games now is less like, you know, get points and win. It's becoming more of a, hey, let's have an experience together. How can we... How can we tackle new experiences at the table? And And this game is very much the type of thing that I love and I know we love on this podcast and on My First Dungeon of something that is incredibly intentional and incredibly specific. Like it's getting you to a very specific experience as efficiently as possible. And like you've been saying, like this really hits to the hits to the core of like what it feels like to be on a documentary film crew, you know, really in the in the war zone together, just, you know, slapped onto a sci-fi setting and to really like emphasize some of those those highs and lows yeah i love the community that comes together every zine month i love like whether you're a brand new designer or have been around for a couple years and like it's it's really difficult to find a following you know in this space and any sort of online space and so it's nice that there is this month where we can sort of come together and like support each other in this way that's sort of you know that's why we're doing these episodes so it's yeah mm -hmm. love zine everyone's month. so generous too in the community like everyone's just offering help and like discounts and free art and advice and yeah it's fantastic totally is there any are there any sort of mentors that you've been able to turn to in the process you would shout out or or maybe like a piece of advice you've gotten going into zine month that you would want to share tony from plus one exp has been very vocal throughout zine months in terms of just giving advice and having interviews with people that can give really good insight about their process and what they went through. Everything from 
idea conception to layout to fulfillment. When I first started, when I made my first zine, I did so much research and a lot of that research led me to plus one EXP videos, which is them talking about, this is how you, this is how you write a, a press kit. This is how you do this. I'm just like, oh man, this is so much information. And just like, it was like a crash course. And I probably wouldn't have been doing it as long as I have if it weren't for that kind of like leg up, you know? I shout out Tony's press kit video pretty much every year now around Zine Month. It is, it is like one of the most valuable things I've ever watched. And like it fully informs how I write press kits now. And it's, yeah, that that video alone changed so much for me. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> that press kit video. Uh, I have I have people like, getting back to me, complimenting my press kit. They're like, yeah, this is really well laid out. Like, I'm like, yeah, thanks. That's, that's Tony. Yeah, shout out Tony. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, from developing this game and getting ready for the crowdfunder that'll be start, when does the crowdfunder start for this? This is, uh, starts on February 1st. So getting preparing this game and getting ready for this crowdfunder, is there any specific lesson you've learned specifically from this game? Difficulty you overcame or like a surprise that you didn't think you'd have to, to deal with? This is the first time where I'm launching some, I'm launching a crowdfunder for a game that isn't, I, I haven't completed writing it yet. And so getting, learning how to get to a point for crowdfunder, which feels like I'm trying to make a B plus version of an A plus game. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm like, it's not done. Like, this is what I have. This is the best I have. And may, but still make it presentable, make it look like no, it's for real. I'm not this. I'm not going to flake. This is a real thing. This is going to like to to give that impression with like an un, with an incomplete document was difficult because my mentality is always like I got to get it perfect before I get it out, and to like find that meet middle area was really hard of like in terms because I could just obsess over these details and I have to remind myself like no. This isn't as important. I just need to get something out. I'm, I'm curious, just based on what, so you've you've written a lot, you've got a lot of this stuff done. Right now, where you're at, do you have a favorite thing about the game? Like a single, like, ability, a single piece of artwork, single piece of writing? Like, what's your favorite part that you've written thus far? Hmm. Creating these new classes for Mothership, the camera operator, sound recordist, utility technician, producer... I'm doing something different with this toolkit that Mothership doesn't usually have, which each class comes with their own. It's called a primary equipment module. And it's like the piece of equipment that that particular class gets right off the bat, which has a bunch of features. So um, like the camera operator has like their digital camera and the sound recorder has a sound recorder kit. Um, and it's been really fun translating like actual technical things that these devices can do for in-game mechanics. Just things like like really simple practical things you would find at a camera and trying to imagine fun ways you can use it in an alien setting. For example, the camera with night vision, right? Really simple. But how fun is it going to be when you're trying to like work your way through like a dark corridor and you can only see through the night vision camera? Like that would be... Mm, yeah. This is really fun to like conceive. And same thing with like sound in terms of like you can... You know, you can uh, you can record through your boom, but you you got radio devices. You can tap into different radio signals and record the like. What kind of ghostly signals are going to be flying through the ether that you can intercept, or like all these different thing, different fantastical ways of interacting with very practical things uh, was really fun to like figure out. I love the robotic lav mic. 
is very funny. Oh, yeah. Lobby. <laughs> yeah, Lobby. <laughs> also got to highlight in terms of like, you know, to, to highlight some of the goodies that people get. If they get a physical edition, they get those primary equipment modules as printed business cards, which is very fun. Yeah. The business card idea came originally from a practicality, and then we kind of curved it into something more thematic. Because I was looking up how much it cost to get, you know, player cards printed. Um, and I'm trying to reduce how much I'm... Part of the reason I stopped making board games was because I wanted to stop doing um, kind of like overseas factory stuff. Because trying to stay away from like just contributing to like, you know, like mass pollution and things like that. So I'm trying to like develop more at a local level. And so I was looking up player card and player card printing at a local level is incredibly expensive, especially for a short run. And a lot of the local places, even though they say they're local, they actually um, get their stuff printed overseas and then ship it in. And so an alternative, I'm like, oh, what else can I print it on? And then I looked at, okay, well, business cards, can my stuff fit in a business card? I'm like, okay, that's incredibly affordable. And then I, as I was thinking through it, oh, well, since it's like corporate documentaries, yeah, business cards, PEMs on business cards. That's perfect. It saves me money and it's thematic. And you can make some really nice looking business cards. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> for pretty cheap. So uh, kind of rounding your way towards the end here, I this is the part of the show where I give a little disclaimer that I am uh, a guest writer on this project with you, writing up some some fun NPCs. But who else is on the team here for this project? We got uh, Alex Chang from Cardboard Dynamo. He created Giga Robo, which is this incredible giant robot miniature game, which is a, a love letter to super robot anime. But he is acting as the uh, film industry advisor. I've worked with him for over a decade on different on sets. Um, we're very good friends. And so... He's running everything by to make sure uh, I'm hitting the film themes on point. He's also the component graphic designer. He's the one who did like the Solaricom logo and things like that. I also got Samantha Lee for as the editor. And of course, you're the guest writer. I also have Adam Good, also known as Adam Station, who just successfully funded an infinity of ships. Oh, amazing. Yeah. amazing. He's going to cool. be doing a, a section. Uh, so in the game, there's a whole section of discoverable media. So and players can find legacy media like celluloid and old tapes and things like that. And there's going to be charts where like if you watch it, you'll find like little excerpts of humanity on these old pieces of media oh, that you can cool. just weave into your characters and your lore and things like that. I love that stuff in video games, so that's <laughs> great. So uh, he'll be writing a lot of that stuff. And then uh, I have a bunch of artists from all over the place uh, helping me out with this. Wolford Deer Colony, who did uh, the the cover emblem with the, the skull and the camera lens. So good. Yeah, we got, love it. Uh, <laughs> Dirk Ober, from, he he's, uh, was my neighbor uh, when I was in Baltimore, uh, and he was the lead, lead guitar player for uh, a black metal band called Cemetery Piss. But he also does, uh, he does really amazing graffiti, um, and so he did the title art, which I'm still incorporating into the, the cover right now. Uh, Logan Espartero, he's a, a Filipino artist who did a lot, he did all the characters. And then I just have, if you end up doing the social media aspect of the game, because I have um, a social media like randomizer that you can use for Archiver. And so we're building a media library on TikTok and Archiver so people can just 
search hashtag archiver loot and have a, a growing library of experimental media that they can use in their game. No and way. I have a bunch of filmmakers that are collaborating with me. It slaps. That's cool as hell. I have, yeah, Olivia Lilly from Pop Magic Productions, some film directors like William L. Cox and Derek Munger, Stephen Malarka. So yeah, instead of rolling a D10, essentially what it is is that I've we've defined video and audio into 10 different objective categorical things like screen action, color, timbre, volume, all these different things. And essentially you have to do this randomization called uh, uh, signal corruption. Instead of rolling a D10, the GM can look up one of these random videos and show them this uh, experimental video. And then like a Rorschach test, the, the player would say the first thing that grabs their attention, Right. If it's like the, the people talking or the emotion of it or the color was really interesting or it's really loud, that associates to one of the in-game effects. It's awesome. Randomly. So like when, you, when your characters consume media and they get corrupted, you can actually show media to your players and have their choices affect their character. So. Well, well goddamn. That is, <laughs> that is extremely cool. <laughs> Again, this is just... Another thing that we always like to point out whenever we see it of like everything that you're doing for this campaign, be it the crowdfunder, be it the game itself, be it the supplemental social media stuff is like it all feeds into the vibe of the game. Like if I get this game, I know exactly the vibe I'm going for. It's accomplishing the task extremely well. Oh, I love yeah. when people do this. this yeah, is gonna be great. yeah, really good. Good on you. That is very cool. All these little pieces are really they're all uh even before launch, very apparent how much effort you've put into this, which which is oh, thank great. You. And just a shout out to the people listening for any for you guys or for any other aspiring filmmakers who want to contribute. All of these videos in our account, they're also attached to, like I said, hashtag archiver loot. So anyone around the world who wants to contribute to the library and make their own thing, just attach the hashtag. Mm. So anyone can make their own videos. And as a, as a player, all you have to do is search the hashtag and you just have this giant library of stuff. Great. Cool as hell. So, Roderick, we always like to end the podcast with a question of what are you bringing to the table? And this is a a recommendation that we would ask that you give to our listeners. And for the Zine Month episodes, we would love it if you would shout out another Zine Month project that you're excited about. Yeah. Also funding on Crowdfunder, the creator Meldar16 is releasing a game called I Got a Knife, which is basically a, a <laughs> party investigation like murder mystery and their games are always hilarious always well done and i think most all of their production is in-house which makes it even cooler so it's very like true to the like homemade zine but they've got a really nice printer so it's a lot higher quality but everything's made by them so they have the freedom to create all these extra things for their games that are just really like DIY handmade, which I love. That's cool. So yeah, I got a knife. I'm LR16. Check it out. Crowdfunder. We'll link that down in the show notes below as long as well as the links to everything for Archiver. And then lastly, Roderick, just one more time for folks, where can they find you and where can people find Archiver? You can find all of my stuff at alewoodgames.com. You can find Archiver on Crowdfunder and then you can just do crowdfunder.com slash archiver loot, L-O-O-T. And that'll take you straight to the the page. Yeah, you can also find me on itch 
And because I work in, in media, really, if you just you can just Google my name, you'll find me on like <laughs> YouTube and everywhere. I'm just I'm just littered all over the place. Um, well, thank you so much, Roderick, for coming to the table today. We wish you the best of luck with um, funding. When does the campaign end? Just so people know when they got to get in. So it's a three week campaign. Launches on the first and ends on the twenty second. So run, don't walk to fund Archiver. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! Hello and welcome back to Talk of the Table. Today, Brian and I are joined by Jordan Boschman to discuss his zine month project, The Stone Flesh Gift. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today? Good? I'm doing all right. Yeah, chilly morning, but otherwise all right. I'm really excited to talk about this game. It's going to be very fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this this has this this scratches a few of my particular itches when it comes to to <laughs> games and horror and such. So, um it's very also excited. it's especially interesting for me because I have not I mean, we're going to we're going to get into the stone flesh gift briefly here, but I have not really touched mothership as, as a system. And we've now, this is the second Mothership related supplement that we've had on. And now I'm like, I got to go check out Mothership. <laughs> I'm behind <laughs> yeah, the time. There's a giant swath of zines coming out for this game that apparently doesn't actually exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 1E still hasn't, still hasn't delivered. That's true. Oh, so I can be forgiven for being behind the times then. Okay. Well, cool. there, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. The first, the zeroth edition, I guess, has been out for three or four years. So not, not totally. Yeah, all right. Forgiven. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jordan, the first question that we like to ask is uh, if you could just give us the kind of elevator pitch for the Stoneflesh Gift. It is a, a living ship module or adventure for Mothership that focuses on exploration and body horror. Players will stumble upon and investigate an ancient alien bioengineering factory floating through space by traversing its organs, getting real up there engrossed with the whole living ship idea. I love living living ship living building thing that's thing that is living that isn't supposed to be living scratches an itch in me yeah yeah and i've always i've always been upset with how they living ships tend to get portrayed in like really popular science fiction it's often just like a sassy voice that gives exposition dumps or makes fun of lead characters and i like the idea instead of something that should strike some awe and fear in you something that demands respect and understanding care and if you don't give it that, it will chew you up and spit you out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you are living inside the body of this thing. It's like, you better treat it with respect. <laughs> yeah. Something recent, there was one... Oh, the, the latest Guardians of the Galaxy did a living ship, but they didn't go 
body horror enough. I think they, they yeah. th- although that third movie did have a fair amount of like horror kind of vibes in <laughs> yeah. it. That, Got a little goopy. Yeah, that 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 their ship didn't go body horror enough. There's a thing when you open up because I opened up the preview of the Stone Flesh gift that you have, and I love that the first spread is this map with all of the organs. <laughs> it just instantly sells me on this. I'm like, I'm like, oh. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing. I am going to be, <laughs> this is a ship and I, and it's got organs and I'm going to be moving through them. And I just love the, like, is this public domain, like kit bashing that you've done? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, mostly old engravings of anatomical stuff and little um, sea creatures and whatnot. And I just kind of recolored them all, cleaned them up, combined some stuff, twisted some stuff. So that's mostly all the art I can do is, is photo bashing type stuff. But I think it turned out pretty good. And yeah, I like to have, zine be super usable and, and people always harp on having a map at the front and the back so i thought sure i'll just throw that map right out there on the inside cover and see how it hits people there is there is something i love about like kit bashing illustrations and art like that because it really does encapsulate the soul of like zine month and indie publishing it's like we're gonna take all the best free stuff out there and like each of the individual parts are not that interesting but then you throw them all together and it makes this really cool interesting unique bash of things uh, the artwork and i i love this type of style so I'm, I'm excited to see it definitely as we've been doing these these interviews for zine month we've been asking all the designers uh, a question to start off the the interview and it might throw you for a little bit of a loop but answer it however you like because we think it, it is a good way to start a conversation and kind of gives context for everything that comes afterwards and that is what is your ethos as a game designer like, what is your biggest driving philosophy? My biggest driving philosophy when it comes to game design, I think, is that games are art like all creative mediums. And as such, they, with that great power comes great responsibility type of thing. Art has power. Creating art in and of itself is a powerful thing. But if you want your art to connect with other people, if you want it to grow that power, then a responsibility to those people emerges. You're you're poking at their emotions. You're 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 poking at their thoughts and pulling them into an experience of your own design. So you, you kind of owe it to them to try to understand them and what they want and what they might need. As much as art for art's sake is a great thing and as much as you should make what you are really passionate about and what you want to see put forth into the world, art is also an act of empathy. And empathy is not a one-way street. So you need to try to research the community that you're going to be creating in, what they what they say they like, what they say they don't like. You try to understand whether that's actually true or not. Maybe people aren't always the best about what they think they want, but you know, still listen and be attentive and try to take part of that community. It really strikes on a thing that we always talk about on this show and, and on our other show, My First Dungeon, of just being so intentional with your design. Yes, yeah. Really paying attention, as you say, really listening, being empathetic to the community that you're creating for, and also taking... Every piece of design, every decision you make can feed into the whole. And if you take each of those decisions with care, going all the way back to what does this community want and not want, all those little decisions add up very quickly and make the and can be the thing that make a project good or bad. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really what all creative processes are. It's just a series of decisions that you make in terms of carving out which this experience is going to be and all of those build up and so those matter. I also love that you talked about kind of like 
that art, like when you're poking at people's emotions with art, there is a responsibility there, especially when it comes to something like horror and like body horror and making sure that you're not like, there's a line with body horror between like entertaining and interesting and just kind of like egregiously gross for gross's sake. And like, as somebody who like has played in body horror a bit, like it's like, it is a fine line. So I love that you see it that way and that as a responsibility. So I'm curious kind of like, when it comes to this zine and body horror, are there any touchstones or inspirations of like great body horror that inspires you or inspired you to make this scene? Not particular ones, but uh, general sort of background radiation of like Cronenberg stuff or H.R. Giger stuff. You know, I, I wanted some, I guess the, the best visceral touchstone I had was that scene in the movie Alien where they discovered the space jockey corpse. Just that weird elephant-headed uh, exoskeleton-style alien dead body strapped into some sort of telescopic thing. It's like something grand and and just massive and obviously very important to some alien culture, but humans don't have anything to do with this, and they're just here now and trying to make sense of it. So I, I wanted to try to get at that visceral sense of awe. And I did, I did stop myself from uh, consciously going a little bit too overboard with the body horror stuff because uh, while I was writing and developing this, I uh, got COVID and quote unquote covered from it and still developed several new chronic health issues as a result. So I was in and out of the hospital a couple of times and getting a bunch of tests done. And I seriously considered for a while seeing if I could acquire the rights to the footage from my endoscopy from the hospital. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> work that into the art somehow. But I, I, chose, I decided against it. One of those little creative decisions that make the project. I thought that might be a bit too far. Just so your listeners are aware. That's not in there. <laughs> but you got to wow. go down the path. You got you to gotta think about it. You got to see it through and then decide, maybe not for this Consider project. the possibilities <laughs> and set aside what will not work. <laughs> Well, I'm so sorry that happened, but uh, uh, admire the restraint yeah. to not to not put the endoscopy <laughs> yeah. pictures. In. It. Um, I do have to I do have to admit that there's a huge gaping hole in my film knowledge that is the movie Alien that I've still not seen. Uh, Brian, it's, it's I know great. it's great. How does this happen so have... often that you get exposed on this podcast for these gaping movie? <laughs> it's wild. Roles? I feel like because I I studied film and I work in film and television and I I watch a lot of movies. But so I have a few like glaring holes, and one of them is Alien. I, I'm still ashamed about it. I will watch. But you it. would also just love it. Like I think, like I knowing you, I think you'd really like it. I know I'll like it. I just got to sit down. It's same thing. Like uh, I'd never seen the Mummy, and I finally sat down the other day and watched <laughs> that. Also, my hot take on the Mummy: it's fine. I can't get in a fight <laughs> with you about the Mummy today. I can't. I don't have the energy to fight with you about the Mummy. As someone who got my undergrad degree in Near Eastern Studies, the mummy is fine. <laughs> well, I could see that. <laughs> that perspective is fine. So those are so we've talked about kind of the themes here of like awe-inspiring, like alien ship, body horror. Why was mothership the right system for you for this supplement? Well, I saw just the incredible zine community coming out of mothership. I'm sure they're crowdfunding success played a large role in that but just people when they get exposed to this system seem to just really fall in love with it and go headfirst into either buying all the zines or making as many things as they can or their nice little um, one-shot pamphlet adventures which i also made one that i'm going to be throwing in for every backer from my crowdfunding campaign for the stone flesh gift 
it's just was a big well of creativity that just kept providing more and more. And I was so surprised by, and then thinking of, you know, it's a good system for sci-fi horror. It, it just seemed like a natural fit. It kind of is the, the system in that way. It is really nice when there is such a groundswell of support around a game or, or any kind of community, because then it feels like it does feel like an active community and it feels like there's new stuff everywhere you look and it's new and exciting and it's fun and you can be part of it. And when games kind of hit that momentum, that's when they can get really fun because the more people get involved, like the more ideas get out there and also like the weirder and stranger ideas get out there and that kind of creates new things and that becomes new games. And anytime any game picks up steam like this, I get really excited. I love that you called out the like kind of existing community of third party stuff from other shit, because that's sort of what drew me to that game originally was some of the, some of the existing modules. This, this particular preview scratched the same itch in my brain as gradient descent. When I first started flipping through that, I which is uh, that is very strong praise. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, for sure. But it's like, and for those who don't know, Gradient Descent is this like this it, Gradient Descent is a mega dungeon. Like it's a huge, it's a chunky zine. But you're going into this like uh, abandoned cloning facility, and it's like this deep dive and very cool. And that's like as I was reading through this, this is what like I love about these mothership things. I had that same vibe where it was like this is a world I want to just like not dive into but like crawl through there's like that's the thing with a good mothership scene it's like i want to like crawl through this um no question just praise i really appreciate it (laughs) i do want to dive in a little specifically to your crowdfunding campaign so just specifics for people who may want to support this where are you crowdfunding what are the dates of the crowdfunding campaign? And what are the rewards people can get if they if they back the game? I am funding on Crowdfunder. That's Crowdfunder without the E at the end. <laughs> and I have four main reward tiers, a, uh, a digital one, a print and digital one, and then two that are either all digital or print plus digital that will also include digital copies of every other RPG supplement product that I have made so far. Um, And like I said, each of those uh, reward levels will also get my new one-page pamphlet, one-shot adventure for Mothership called uh, So You've Been Chump Dumped that starts with the players being scammed on cheap jump ship tickets and launched into the void of space and nothing but their vac suits drifting helplessly and are saved saved by a mysterious force that that sets off the the pamphlet adventure. That's fun as hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's really cool. That's a good little bonus gift. And then and then what are the dates crowdfunders running? Yes, the uh, crowdfunder will run from February 1st to February 29th. It's my first RPG crowdfunding campaign. So I kind of felt like I wanted that full month buffer just to give people as much time as they needed and see how this works. People are going to be checking out zines all month. So I'm sure giving them as much time as possible to find yours is a good idea. And I'm curious, what brought you to Crowdfunder and what brought you to Zine Month this year? Like what, what was the what was the kind of motivation there? Well, I had, I had been keeping tabs on Zine Month since the, the first year that it started and just saw the, the awesome uh, creativity coming out of it and I knew I would like to be a part of it, but didn't really feel like any of the projects I was making were a good fit for it. But then as I was writing the Stoneflesh Gift and sort of the size of how big of a book it was going to be and how much art was going to go into it, and also some of the personal themes that were kind of interwoven into it, that it felt like more of a personal project to me than all my other RPG stuff so far. So I thought that would be 
a good heartfelt uh, starting project for my first zine month. And uh, in terms of my choice of platform, I honestly can't support Kickstarter uh, in how they run things anymore and how they just completely disregard their own AI art policy constantly and even mark projects that clearly label themselves as saying that they steal art from other artists through their AI services that they use and still labeling them as projects we love, even though they violate their own AI art policy. Just can't get behind it anymore. So I looked for the official Zine Month partner, which is Crowdfunder, and thought I'd give it a go. Hell yeah. And then for, for this project, are, are you the the sole author on this or are there any other team members that you'd like to shout out? Yep, it's all me. Solo effort, all writing, arts, editing, layout. I'm really bad at layout, so this was a massive challenge for me to, to set all this up. But I, I think I did a good job. I even went through and made every single item name, creature and hazard name, and organ name hyperlink in the PDF for you to click through and go everywhere, wherever you want across the digital PDF and all the... The organ uh, numbers correspond to the page numbers you'll find their description on and just really try to go all in and making this as, as usable as I could. It is those, again, those little things that make all the difference. I am curious, when, when anyone kind of chooses to wear all the hats in something, what did you learn from this project that you maybe didn't anticipate going into it? Because like you said, you know, you're doing layout, you're doing art, you're doing writing. What were the unique challenges that you found with this product in particular? Well, I've been experimenting in writing and doing some RPG projects for a while. So I was accustomed to that. And my day job is I am a freelance RPG and board game editor. So I was okay on the editing side. Like I said, layout was a big challenge and art is often a big challenge for me as well. But I honestly had to learn the most about printing and fulfillment and distribution and shipping laws and you know, VAT taxes and just all of that stuff that is just not what I normally deal with in any part of my day-to-day life. And that was a big learning experience for me. And that's kind of, I think, the biggest hump for anyone trying to step foot into this theme month in crowdfunding arena is just actually getting the practicalities of how do I get this book in people's hands. It's by far the least sexy part, but it is one of the more important parts, unfortunately. Definitely. And, and the, the whole solo effort mostly comes out of just necessity. I, I don't have the money to collaborate with people and then pay them what they're worth or to, to hire a fulfillment center to, to work with. So I've got to set the time aside wherever I can find it to, to figure this out as best I can on my own. Well, I mean, looking at the the samples in your press kit, it seems like you're doing that. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I am curious. I've been asked this question of a bunch of people because anytime I work on a creative project, there's always something that is like my my darling, the thing that I love, that whether or not it's the best thing in the book, it's what I think is the best thing in the book. What do you think is the best thing in this supplement? Again, like you said, it might not be the best thing that most people are love about the book, but for me personally, I'm a little bit proud of how I handled what I call the the neural link for most of the organs. So I really wanted the organs in this living ship to have some actual character to them, but not just be a, a weird, gross, organic space that players are moving through. So I gave most of them a biotech cable called a neural link that really makes itself known by wanting to connect to any passing spinal column of a player or a creature nearby. It gets these little tendrils coming out and trying to connect to it. And if you allow yourself to connect to this neural link, then some of the organ's thoughts and feelings will be communicated to you as sort of a, a metaphorical experience. So there's a, a 1D5 roll table for most of the organs the, the warden or GM can use when you connect to them to kind of just 
give you a metaphorical taste of what that organ is feeling or what it's thinking or what its goals are. Some of them have a little bit of personality and want to affect some change within the ship um, and just communicate to communicate that to you through this weird experiential description. That sounds very cool. That's extremely <laughs> cool. Yeah. Also, just imagining as a player how creepy that would feel like having that described. Yeah. I, I had to kind of add a note for the, the game master in the book that says like your players are going to be nervous about these things and, and wary of them. Encourage your players to connect with them. Don't make them a threat. Don't make them a bad thing to connect with because I want the players to sort of communicate with the organs a little bit more directly. It is fun. And that does, this, that does directly kind of go to your point of not wanting just the ship with the quirky voice. It's like this feels much more visceral and it feels like you really get to interact with the entirety of the ship rather than just kind of like the voice or the mind of the ship. Yeah, it's an ecosystem and one that yeah. is way more advanced than most ecosystems we've experienced and has been festering in space for millions of years. So there's some weird tendencies are going to evolve within it. Really gives me uh, vibes of um, Scavenger's Reign, the HBO show. Oh, so good. Need to check that out still. <laughs> oh, it's good. Oh, if you you would love it. Based on based on everything we've talked about today, I think you'd really love it. <laughs> good to know, good to know. I really love the balance that you've struck here of awe-inspiring plus body horror because, like, I think that that is tricky. I think that that's something that, like, yeah, it's you, this isn't a gross-out book. As much as there is gross things in it, it's not a gross-out book. I tried really hard to aim for that. I did not want this to be a gross-out book because that's easy. That's facile. That's that's pedestrian. I don't want that. I want people. I want. I want gross out horror that makes you think, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's that's based on the way you just described this Neuralink thing. I, I really like that. I really like that it's like encourage the players to engage with the ship. Like it's it's pushing back against the like you're not just in this ship to like, you know, blast holes in the walls and make off with loot. Like you're it's a it's an exploration, it's an understanding. Like, yeah, gets at that sort of I can't even think of the word I'm trying, the genre I'm trying to even talk about, like almost cosmic horror vibes, like a little bit like that, like want to understand. I really like what you said that because in a lot of like exploration, it's just like the difference between exploration and understanding, I think, feels apt here. Yeah. Exploration yeah, yeah. is just going and seeing what it is. Understanding is is understand. <laughs> I was about, about to define the word with the word. <laughs> yeah, I, I did kind of directly aim for a sort of tension between those two plans of exploration and understanding because this is a weird alien othering environment that a lot of players might not want to spend the most time in, but I intentionally built in systems for the players to learn how the ship works and learn how to control it and potentially take control of it as their ship for their mothership campaign if they want. Included a full unique uh, ship manifest back of the book if you want to use it as your ship and but that's going to take some effort and some attempts to understand it in order to, to figure out how to do that. Ah, this remind now uh, this is reminding me of a little different, but the ship in Saga, the comic, if you've read the like tree oh, ship yeah. in Saga, like yeah, forming yeah. that relationship with a living with a living yeah, ship. Yeah, it, it's is symbiotic. Cool. The, the ship symbiotic. needs the ship needs some things from you in order for you to be able to take control of it, and it's up to you whether you want to help the ship out in. I could see this being really fun for for game masters because, you know, I'm thinking that in a lot of space type games, the ship kind of, be, regardless of whether or not it is sentient, the ship kind of becomes another character because it's it's home, you know, it's it's the place you love. 
And even when the ship is sentient, it's usually like, like you said, a snarky voice. It's got to be a fun experience to be able to like role play this whole organism that is both home and community and ecosystem and living being. Like, what does it mean? What does it say about the crew if the ship gets sick and, you know, like things? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could really like use it to mirror what is happening on with the crew. If, you know, if the crew does well, it's happy. What is, what does a ship look like when it's happy? What happens when it gets sick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and like with a, with a regular spaceship, you know, uh, fuel is always a, an important factor, but you can find a resource of fuel somewhere in another ship or a station or something. But this is a living ship. What kind of fuel do you think you're going to have to give it in order to power mm. it? What are you going to do to acquire that quote-unquote fuel for this organic ship? And so on. Oh, so many little little thing, little things that you can just like build like, oh yeah, you can just like build a whole campaign off of this. That's very cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to linger. That's going to fester. Yeah, that's, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes things hook their way into Brian and I's brains and and then fester. Well, we we just got we just got done playing a, a campaign for my first dungeon of the game Orbital Blues, which in that the ship is just a mundane ship. But I'm just thinking like the whole point of Orbital Blues is like everyone gets really sad. What happens if it's a living ship? What happens if the ship gets really sad? What is a <laughs> what does a ship confronting its blues look like? And there are a couple. There are a couple potential threats and obstacles hidden in a couple quarters of this ship that might directly influence how sad that sh this ship might get. Waiting for the players to discover them. Do you have any kind of background in any sort of biology or medicine or anything that informed this? It just feels like there's so much like... Specificity? Specificity that, that feels like it comes from someone who maybe knows this stuff. <laughs> uh, no formal training. Uh, my degrees are in, like I said, Near Eastern Studies and... Uh, English language, like discourse and rhetoric and semiotics and stuff. But I've always been a bit of a science nerd ever since I was a kid. So I've studied some evolutionary biology stuff. But also, like I said, while I was writing this, I was sick and going to the hospital more than I ever have in my life and feeling the sim symptoms and experiences that I've never felt before. So my, uh, my relationship with my body was kind of tumultuous at the exact same year that I was spending working on this project. So I think a lot of that just sort of poured out of me into this book. Honestly, it's a good outlet for it. I guess. If, if you have to go through it, you might as well have an outlet for it. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Jordan, to wrap us up, the last question we like to ask on this show, we ask every guest, is what are you bringing to the table? And this is just our cute way of asking you for a recommendation for our audience. Um, and this month, since it's Zine Month specifically, uh, I'd love to hear if you have any other zine month projects that you are particularly excited about or that you'd want to recommend our listeners check out and support as well for zine month specifically i've definitely been interested in another uh, mothership zine called archiver a-r-k-y-z-r and it is sort of like a documentarian approach to uh, mothership zines and apparently has systems where you play a documentary crew that can be run in other existing zines and settings and that just Seems really fascinating to take something we already know and just just switch the camera around on it and give you a completely different experience. So I'm, 
I'm really excited to see where they take that. Listeners will have probably just heard from Roderick either right before this conversation or we're, are about to hear it right after. Awesome. I'll have to tune in and then here he's got to stay on that episode. Yeah, we're excited about that one too. Outside of that, I would just recommend that RPG designers play more board games. Ooh. It is a wide, wide breadth of mechanical and thematic experiences that just cannot be had in role-playing games, even as experimental and broad as RPG design space is, some things you're just not going to think of until you have engaged with it. And do using components on an actual surface with actual people can just really change how you approach game state and all sorts of mechanical problems to solve. And I also like to shout out the, uh, the zine or the game, um, bullet build B X L L E T by Rathia Bacter Toxicus. It's, uh, Super streamlined, lightweight, post-apocalyptic, weird West game. That was super original, I know. But the bullets are very important hard-won resources in that game, both because how many you have powers your class or playbook's abilities. And if you load a gun with a bullet and aim it at a character and pull the trigger, you kill them. And honestly, I have not seen a game just so directly and full-throatedly proclaim that firing a bullet destroys lives and the whole dread of violence is always hanging over your decisions as it should in any postmodern western and so that the decision to go for your gun is incredibly weighty and a tough choice because it changes the situation it's sort of like vincent baker's um dogs in the vineyard in that way like, are you willing to escalate things because doing so is gonna escalate things it's a really great book those are great recommendations. I'm definitely going to check that out. That's really cool. We'll link all of those recommendations in the show notes, as well as a link to support the Stone Flesh gift on Crowdfunder. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us at the table. Do you want to let people know one last time where they can find you online and when they can back uh, the Stone Flesh gift? The Stone Flesh gift arrives on Crowdfunder February 1st. And I chose a, foolishly chose a publishing imprint name that is annoying to communicate. It's Atypical Foe. Uh, so instead of that, I've set up a redirect. So you can just go to jordanboschman.com. That's B-O-S-C-H-M-A-N. And you'll get links to the Zine Month campaign, to my itch store, to my mailing list where I give away free board games and art-free PDFs of every single one of my RPG products when I release them. And if you need editing for your RPG or board game project, you can find uh, testimonials and some of the games I've worked on and a form for requesting quotes. Jordan, thank you again so much for coming on. Best of luck with your crowdfunding campaign. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you once again to Jordan and Roderick for joining us today at the table. This was the first of our Zine Month special episodes. There will be three more episodes and six more incredible zine designers throughout this month. So be sure to stay tuned every week of this scene month. And if you want more gaming content from us, check out the 20-sided newsletter and the many-sided media discord. Those are both linked below. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. 
If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.